the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Preparing to strike. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. Israel inching closer to unleashing a ground war into Gaza. It is an enemy that Israel is facing. It's hard to really wrap your mind around what they're capable of doing. What Hamas is capable of doing has the entire world on edge. The terrorist group is holding nearly 200 hostages in Gaza right now. Taken from homes and a music festival last weekend during a slaughter of the innocents. This woman's 18 year-old daughter among the missing. I'm a mother and I want my daughter home now. I want my daughter to sleep in her bed now. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez with the Israeli Defense Forces is urging Palestinians get out of Gaza because the cavalry is coming. The Gazan civilian population are not our enemies. We are not looking to strike them. Our military operations are focused on the military capacities of Hamas. The death toll from the week-old war has Topped 4,000 on both sides, 30 Americans among the dead. Correspondent Trey Yinks continues our coverage from the Gaza border. 199 people are being held hostage inside the Gaza Strip at this moment. Part of those negotiations ongoing at this hour to see not only if Americans and other foreigners that are inside Gaza can be let out, but also if any sort of hostage deal can be made behind the scenes. Meantime, the U.S., Israel, and Egypt are trying to work out a deal that would open up up a humanitarian route into southern Gaza, the Rafah crossing, as it's known, which would allow for safe passage of refugees into Egypt. The BBC's Lise Doucette. There's a thousand foreign nationals, Palestinians mainly, waiting at that Gaza border crossing, the only opening to the outside world. It's also the only passage for aid to get in, and the aid has been building up truck after truck at the Egyptian side of the border, waiting to go in. The Israelis say they need to inspect those goods before they get in. They're worried there could be weapons hidden inside. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is leading a congressional delegation in Tel Aviv right now to show support for the state of Israel. We say this to the Israeli people. We have your back. We feel your pain. Israel's a strong nation. And at this moment... We say to Israel, you are not alone. FBI Director Chris Ray warns Hamas copycats could be planning similar attacks right here in the United States. There's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we've got to be on the lookout, especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. Thousands of Middle Eastern men have crossed over our southern border the past couple years. This as anti-Semitic sentiment continues to rear its ugly head on American college campuses. U.S. universities have increasingly become a flashpoint for protests over the Israeli-Hamas war. Mo Shaglik with the group Students Supporting Israel. People are just sickened, disgusted by the vile actions of Hamas murdering innocent 
innocent women, children, and the fact that there are on college campuses or anywhere that there's actual support for these monsters is, is incomprehensible. And the hate cuts both ways. A Chicago landlord facing murder charges today for the stabbing death of a six-year-old Muslim boy. President Biden called the crime sickening, adding there's no place for that kind of hate in America. Mr. Biden was asked last night on 60 Minutes if the U.S. has the ability now to assist Israel like it needs. Are the wars in Israel and Ukraine more than the United States can take on at the same time? We're the United States of America, the most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. The history of the world. We can take care of both of these and still maintain our overall international defense. The president added that Hamas needs to be eliminated, but Israel occupying Gaza would be a big mistake. He also warned Iran to stay out of it. Here's CBS's Scott Pelley. What is your message to Hezbollah and its backer, Iran? Don't. Don't. Don't, don't. Secretary of State Blinken arriving in Israel today for more meetings with Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. The U.S. House will vote tomorrow on a new speaker. It's unclear whether Ohio's Jim Jordan has the votes to succeed Kevin McCarthy. Fellow Ohioan Mike Turner says the vote to oust McCarthy has put the GOP very much between a rock and a hard place. What was less than 4% of Republican votes to take down a speaker who was working for bipartisanship? It's going to be hard for them in the future because they want to work in bipartisanship when they fired the guy that was sitting there for doing so. Republican White House hopeful Nikki Haley is imploring House Republicans to please coalesce around a candidate. You can't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. They need to get it together. Media critic Joe Concha. Republicans have to decide whether they prefer to be the party of whiners or a party that actually governs. And I think most in that chamber want to be a party that governs, but some prefer chaos and complaining without any plan to execute. Congressman Jim Jordan is chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and an ally of Donald Trump. The speaker vote set for noon tomorrow. One of the nation's largest pharmacy chains has filed for bankruptcy. Rite Aid says it's restructuring to reduce debt. The bankruptcy comes as the company struggles with lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. Even though inflation remains sky high, you and I are planning to travel for the upcoming holidays. 77 percent are making some sort of changes to their travel plans because of inflation, most commonly driving instead of flying, taking fewer trips, and picking cheaper accommodations and or destinations. Bankrate.com's Ted Rossman. In sports, the Texas Rangers draw first blood in the American League Championship Series. They beat the defending World Series champion Houston Astros game one of the ALCS. On the gridiron, the Buffalo Bills grind out a win over the New York football giants. Quarterback Josh Allen. we got to find ways to get off to a fast start, and I don't think we've done that in the last few games. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a win. It's an ugly one. We'll take it. But there's a lot of things that we got to learn from and, and get better at. The New York Jets upset Philadelphia, handing the Eagles their first loss of the season. Pittsburgh had a bye over the weekend. Randy will have more in sports on the way. Chicago is racked by crime, but the news is not all bad out of the Windy City. Family Life's Greg Gillespie introduces us to a ministry that takes kindergartners by the hand and doesn't let go. The By the Hand Club now serves 1,700 students in challenged neighborhoods. By the Hand offers meals, tutoring, Bible studies, and dental and eye care. They found that five out of six school kids in the program, 84%, have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
The ministry follows the proverbial teach someone to fish, too. Many of their participants are being trained in an entrepreneurship program. Good news from Chicago, indeed. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, good to hear. Thank you, Greg. Still to come on the Noon Report, March for Life in Harrisburg, a win for health care in Utica, and businesses sue over New York gas stove ban. That story after this. Well, good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams. We're still locked into a pattern keeping us on the chilly side, a little damp at times, but brighter days are ahead. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, we'll see you then. Thank you, Kevin. The third annual Pennsylvania March for Life is underway in Harrisburg. Thousands are rallying for the rights of the unborn at the state capitol. The march is organized by the Pennsylvania Family Institute. President and CEO Michael Gere. As the marchers march around the capitol, they're making a statement for those inside. Governor Shapiro and others have been pushing abortion up until birth. With legislation there, they're going after pregnancy resource centers. So those are the kinds of attacks that are coming against the pro-life uh, sentiment here in Pennsylvania. But this huge turnout that we have today, the peaceful and uh, uh, wonderful, prayerful march and uh, rally that we've had here today has been a real blessing and, and a voice for the voiceless uh, that needs to be heard here in the Capitol. I know the narrative on the other side of this debate, Michael, is abortion is health care. Abortion yeah. is health care is what you're going to hear from Planned Parenthood and the others. How are you rewriting the narrative when it comes to the sanctity of human life? Well, the first thing is that we recognize and tell people that pregnancy is not a disease, that an unborn child deserves protection from the moment of conception. And that's something that the people need to recognize, that that is a human being. It has a separate, distinct DNA, separate, distinct heartbeat. And to suggest that somehow it's a disease or that it's uh, some kind of problem that needs to be solved is not what we want to have as a society. Yeah, so many abortions now, I think more than half, do not happen inside of a clinic. They happen inside of a home. These do-it-yourself chemical abortions. Talk, if you would, about the dangers of those types of abortions and why we're seeing those types of abortions increase. Well, number one, we're seeing uh, the, the impact of the danger from those pills increase. They're very dangerous in terms of causing uh, significant bleeding. One of the real serious problems with them is that if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, that is a, uh, a baby that's formed in the fallopian tubes, that's not then identified. They take these pills and things, and before long, they can have a burst fallopian tube and possibly bleed to death. These kinds of emergency room visits from people who have taken these abortion pills have been skyrocketing, and there needs to be some kind of... Uh, answer to it because the FDA should not have granted this use in such widespread way. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get a comment or a statement from the Shapiro administration on this, uh, but the numbers don't lie. This is one of, if not the largest rally to happen at the state capitol complex of the entire year. What is yeah. the message that you hope will get across after today in Harrisburg? Well, we want to send a message that uh, that we can love them both. You know, one of the things that uh, Governor Shapiro has done is cut off funding for the Real Alternatives Program to provide support for women who decide to carry the baby to term through pregnancy resource centers. And we want to say that, look, we can support the women who are in need, who uh, are pregnant and don't know what to do through the resources of pregnancy resource centers and that kind of thing. And then we can support life. We can protect the unborn. And that's what we need to do as a society. If we want to be called civilized and compassionate, we need to protect and love them both. Michael Gear with
with the Pennsylvania Family Institute talking about today's March for Life in Harrisburg. A pro-life pregnancy care center in Amherst, New York, has filed suit following a domestic terrorist attack that happened more than a year ago at its facility. Compass Care taking legal action against the alleged arsonist and two women accused of committing other crimes at that Eggert Road location. No one has been charged yet with firebombing that clinic in June of 2022. New poll shows President Biden may have a problem in Pennsylvania in the 2024 race for the White House. It looks better and better for Donald Trump here, but there's a lot of game to be played between now and then. Jim Schultz is the former White House counsel to the former president. The polls are showing that people are not happy. Democrats, in fact, are not happy with the job that Joe Biden's doing. Pennsylvania Democratic Congressman Brendan Boyle says it's not panic time yet for the president. Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama were all losing in the polls. They obviously went on to win re-election and, and win actually by quite a margin. President Biden's been to Pennsylvania at least 15 times since taking office, showing just how key the Keystone State is to his re-election chances. If they don't win Pennsylvania, they don't win. The Democrats don't win. Pennsylvania is the path to the White House, and this president recognizes it. The latest Quinnipiac poll shows Biden narrowly trailing Trump in a hypothetical matchup in Pennsylvania. That same poll found Biden's favorability rating is below 40% of the Commonwealth. Governor Shapiro's new automatic voter registration system seems to be benefiting Republicans more than Democrats in Pennsylvania. When the governor first implemented this, Republicans complained, saying it would undermine election integrity. But one month later, Republicans have registered twice as many voters as Democrats because of that move made by the Democratic governor. A brand new hospital will open for business later this month in Utica, New York. Let's celebrate. Let's get the party started. You got it done, Utica. Governor Hochul taking part in the ribbon-cutting ceremony Sunday at Wynn Hospital, named after billionaire casino developer Steve Wynn, who grew up in Utica. Oneida County Executive Anthony Pacente. We celebrate something that has not been seen, has been said in this community in nearly seven decades, and something this state has not seen in over 25 years, and that is a new hospital carved in the landscape of a city and county that has grown like no other in New York State over the past 10 years. The 10-floor, 700,000-square-foot hospital took seven years to build. Wynn Hospital will begin accepting patients October 29th. The Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo is making history. It's getting $98 million to build a first-of-its-kind cancer research facility. Experts say this facility will provide hope and maybe someday a cure for cancer patients all over the world. New York businesses are suing to block a new law that bans gas stoves in new buildings. Democrats here in New York are pushing a proposal to be exactly where you don't want them to be, in your kitchen. Senate Minority Leader Rob Orr. You can't have a gas stove, you can't have a gas fireplace, you can't have a gas water heater or furnace. Orr thinks the electrification of the Empire State will decimate the New York economy and do nothing to help the environment. If you think you're going to stop the polar ice caps from melting because my mom can't use a gas stove anymore. You've lost me at that point. So what this is all about is going after fossil fuel companies, trying to put them out of business and being yep. exactly where the government doesn't belong, which is in your kitchen. The law mandates all new buildings under seven stories tall be fully electric by December 31st, 2025. Larger structures need to comply three years after that. And New York Governor Kathy Hochul's just made it easier to get 
alcohol on Sunday. Hochul signed a flurry of laws over the weekend that were in place to prevent early drinking on Sundays. Five different bills were signed into law, including one that allows for beer sales on Sunday and expands Sunday hours for alcohol stores, and another that permits the promotional gifting of alcoholic samples. The governor vowing to increase alcohol sales in the Empire State, saying the industry provides jobs. Pro-family groups say the laws will increase drunk driving and domestic violence incidents. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Okay, Sarah, thank you. Your Monday Midday Sports is next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob the Buffalo Bills scored two late touchdowns, then held on for a 14-9 victory over the New York Giants. Quentin Morris caught his first touchdown pass of the season, and it was a big one. A 15-yarder late in the fourth quarter, which proved to be the game winner. The Bills then made a goal line stand with no time remaining to clinch their fourth win of the season. Joss Allen threw for 169 yards and two touchdowns with one pick. Stefan Diggs caught 10 passes for 100 yards. Ian East Rutherford, the Jets, shocked the Eagles with a come-from-behind win, 20-14. New York down 14-3 at the half, but they kept Philadelphia off the board in the second half to pull out the victory. The Jets' defense picked off Jalen Hurts three times. They are now 3-3 three three on the season. The Eagles fall to 5-1. Other winners, the Ravens, Commanders, Vikings, Bengals, Browns, Dolphins, Jags, Texans, Raiders, Rams, and Lions. On the ice, Ottawa beat Tampa Bay 5-2, and the Ducks doubled up the Canes 6-3. To baseball, Jordan Montgomery and the Texas bullpen shut down the reigning champs in Houston last night. The Ranger starter went six in the third inning, struck out six, and gave up no runs as Texas grabs a 1-0 lead in their series with the Astros. 2-0 the final. And in NASCAR, Kyle Larson took home the checkered flag in Vegas to become the first driver to move on to the championship four. Larson held off Christopher Bell on the final lap to earn the win. Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Ross Chastain rounded out the top five. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Man, still to come on the Noon Report, Iran threatens to intervene. Does just war theory apply in Israel? And Kev says drier, warmer days are ahead. His work week forecast is yours after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. The despicable and horrendous attacks by Hamas against civilians last week, including the beheading of children and the kidnapping of the elderly, seems a throwback to some distant barbaric past of human history. We may have thought the world had long ago outgrown such barbarity, but apparently it has not. In fact, as shocking as it is, the kind of atrocities carried out by the Hamas terrorists are the norms of warfare, at least throughout most of human history. But if it's so horrifyingly and historically normal, where did the world get the idea that such barbarity 
solidarity is so wrong. The idea that non-combatants should not be killed in war can occasionally be found in some ancient discussions of warfare, but typically back then it was due to pragmatic reasons, like needing the peasants to work the conquered land after you win the war. Christian just war theory, in sharp contrast, saw the protection of non-combatants as a matter of principle, not a matter of pragmatism. And the principle was grounded in a view of human value unique and distinct to Christianity, the view that every single human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Despite the Enlightenment's hostility to faith and the pervasive scientism of the 19th century, these Christian ideas about just war and the value of the individual retained a strong enough hold on Western culture to shape the Geneva Conventions about the conduct of war. As long as these core ethical ideas of the Judeo-Christian tradition hold sway, they act as a kind of check on the worst impulses of our fallen nature, impulses that quickly come to the surface during times of war. Now, of course, war crimes and violations of human dignity still occur by Western actors, and they should never be accepted or tolerated whenever they do occur. However, when barbarities are considered war crimes and violations, rather than norms, then they happen far less than in the cultures where the ethical tradition is missing in the first place. And last Saturday, what the world saw was that in no uncertain terms, that tradition is missing in large parts of the Middle East. This is especially true for Islamic nations. Outside of a few reformers, Islam rejects as idolatry the idea that humans are made in the image of God. And it's important to note that the rejection of the value of each individual person also allows Hamas to use their own people as pawns of war and as agents of propaganda. And so Hamas places missiles and military centers and hospitals and in schools, knowing that any and all attacks will lead to civilian casualties that can then be paraded in front of the rest of the world. In other words, dead women and children are the intended plan, not the unexpected consequence. When attacks like what happened last Saturday occur, Israel has to target missile sites and other military targets in order to keep its own citizens safe. And when doing so produces civilian casualties, it's tragic, but it's still an example of what Thomas Aquinas called double effect. In his example of double effect, it's ethical to take the life of another person, even though that's usually sin, if it's the only way to prevent him from killing you or another person. This is the situation that Israel faces. The only way to stop the attacks is to bomb important military sites and to break up the network. And when civilians die as an unintended, tragic, but inevitable consequence, then those deaths are also on the heads of Hamas for intentionally placing their civilians in harm's way. With the decline of Christian influence on the West, we should expect a resurgence of the kind of bloodlust and sadism that has characterized most of human history. All of this underscores why worldview is so important. Christianity is and has been good for the world. Its decline will lead to horrific consequences. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. Let's take it outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon into tonight. For most areas, cloudy with a few showers. Now, there'll be some intervals of sun uh, in areas well away from the Great Lakes, particularly central and eastern Pennsylvania. High temperatures today, 50s. Low temperatures tonight, 40s. Tomorrow, clouds, some sun, a stray shower. High temperatures, 50s. And sunshine, scattered clouds mixed in Wednesday with high temperatures then near 60. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots happening Monday, the 16th of October. Iran is threatening to intervene now in the week old war between Israel and Hamas if Israel launches a 
ground invasion into Gaza. Iran's foreign minister is saying, quote, I want to warn the war criminals and those who support this entity before it's too late to stop the crimes against civilians in Gaza. Any step the resistance will take will cause a huge earthquake in the Zionist entity. Brooke Singming of Fox News reports that Iranian-backed Hezbollah guerrillas are threatening Israel from the north and in the south. Correspondent Trey Yinks tells us a mass migration is underway. There are traffic jams headed south, so people have gotten out of their cars and they're starting to walk. They understand this ground invasion is in the near future and they have to get to a safer location. The U.S., Israel, and Egypt all trying to set up a safe passage corridor in Egypt from Gaza. Correspondent Richard Engel. Waiting for a way out of the war zone. Palestinians with foreign passports, including hundreds of American citizens, are gathered at the Rafah border crossing into Egypt. Hamas terrorists are holding nearly 200 hostages in Gaza after slaughtering more than a thousand civilians last weekend in a surprise attack. Retired Naval Admiral and former Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, James Stefridis. It is an enormous and complex operation, so I'm not surprised the Israelis are really taking their time. They've got 350,000 troops mobilized. As a point of comparison, in Afghanistan, we had 150,000. So it's a big military operation. But I think more importantly, what you're seeing is the Israelis doing everything they can to minimize collateral damage. Over 4,000 have been killed on both sides of this war after a week of fighting. Next at noon, more perspective on the war with Dr. Michael Alapredi. He's a professor at Westminster College in western Pennsylvania and spoke recently to our own Greg Gillespie. Here's some of that conversation. I was surprised, I think like everyone else, by the extent of the attacks. And not so much the brutality. Hamas is a terrorist organization that has engaged in pretty reprehensible behavior in the past, but the extent and the coordination of the attacks was pretty surprising. The timing, I think, less so. Uh, the United States and Saudi Arabia and Israel have been moving towards trying to normalize relations. I think from people who study international security, what Hamas is doing looks a lot like what we would call a spoiling attack. In other words, you engage in some sort of shocking attack to try to derail a peace process that you don't want to see go forward. And Hamas has a lot of ties to Iran, and Iran certainly would not want relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel to be in any way normalized or improved. Eventually, does an attack like this actually foster more of a push for cooperation between people that might not otherwise be very quick to jump in and shake hands? I think you have to make a big distinction between what's going to happen in the short term and what will happen in the medium to long term. In the short term, everybody's position will be hardened. In the longer term, however, it does create the possibility of people saying, so we can't just go on like this. Gaza is such a unique space. And what's going to happen there is going to be incredibly tragic in terms of the loss of life and the level of violence that we're going to see. But it does create incentive on the part of, of all the sides to say, well, wait, we just can't go on like this. You mentioned Iran's involvement. There's been a lot of, I don't know if it's speculation or intelligence that Hamas is one of the small terror-oriented groups that would not be doing anything without Iranian blessing or without Iranian funding. 
Is that your sense? I mean, Hamas would exist. There are ties between Hamas and Iran. Uh, There are ties between other Palestinian groups like Islamic Jihad and then also groups in Lebanon like Hezbollah who are all tied to Iran. And, And by tied, I mean, they get funding and training. They exchange information. It's hard to say that Iran had to greenlight it or they wouldn't do it without Iran, but there are certainly ties there. What do people in the U.S. need to know about the Palestinians there? Obviously, it's not Gaza versus Israel here. It's a fraction of the population there who is active in Hamas or supportive. This is the hard part. The first thing to understand, Hamas controls Gaza. Hamas does not control the West Bank. That's a separate, the Palestinian Authority controls those territories. The Palestinian Authority lost control in Gaza in 2008. So Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, essentially controls the Gaza Strip, and they have perpetrated the conflict. Now, that does not mean that Hamas does not have support among the rest of the Palestinian population. The Israelis have occupied those territories since 1967. But there's a difference between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. And the United States has tried to negotiate settlements between the Palestinian Authority, which is generally seen as the kind of legitimate authority for the Palestinians and the Israelis. But the fact that Hamas will be portraying itself as the group that stands up for Palestinians and fights the Israelis is going to put the Palestinian Authority in a really difficult situation. I think one of the things that we want to see that I hope happens is that the conflict does not spread into the West Bank extensively. And there are also Iranian-backed groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon, which could expand the conflict in the northern part of the country. Americans need to be aware that this campaign against Hamas does have the possibility of creating a wider conflict in the Middle East. We want to draw, I I think, a distinction between the kind of policy that we take towards Hamas and that Israel takes towards Hamas, but also with the idea of not lumping all of the different factions together in a kind of us-them framework, or we're likely to expand the conflict. What is happening with anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish sentiment in America, and are there important distinctions to be made there, too? There has been a rise of anti-Semitic violence on both the left and the right in the past four or five years in the United States. And on the left, that gets, I think, wrapped into your position on Israel and Palestine and the occupation of that territory. And, you know, you've seen sort of anti-Israeli protests. It was interesting. I think the Democratic Socialists in New York protested and AOC had to come out and condemn the protest. You're going to start to see people taking positions that are tricky or you might be out of line. I think it's important for the leaders on both sides in the United States to try to present as far as possible a kind of unified front on this about what the acceptable position should be, like the support for Israel, and we should be supporting Israel. We should not be tolerant uh, or allowing anti-Semitic groups to use the conflict here to stoke anti-Semitism in the United States. That is Dr. Mike Alapretti of Westminster College in Western Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. We're still in this pattern of a chilly, damp airflow that has generated the lake effect rains while other areas have seen breaks of sun. The good news is this pattern will weaken over time and the result as we head through midweek 
a brighter and slightly milder pattern will emerge. But in the meantime, for this afternoon into tonight, for most areas, cloudy with a few showers. Now, there'll be some intervals of sun uh, in areas well away from the Great Lakes, particularly central and eastern Pennsylvania. High temperatures today, 50s. Low temperatures tonight, 40s. Tomorrow, clouds, some sun, a stray shower. High temperatures, 50s. And sunshine, scattered clouds mixed in Wednesday with high temperatures then near 60. All right, Kevin, thank you. Fine at noon, a man from Georgia has just finished college and was able to share that accomplishment with someone quite special. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. Sam Kaplan decided to embark on an educational journey at Georgia Gwinnett College in 2019, half a century after his high school graduation in 1969. He was inspired by a radio announcement he heard about a degree program in cinema studies. I was riding down 316 and heard on the radio that this was going to be offered and I registered five minutes later. You see, Kaplan is 72 years old and his graduation was made even more special by the presence of his proud 99-year-old mother who expressed her immense pride for her son. Kaplan admits that the journey was a mix of anxiety and excitement. He graduated with honors with a 3.975 grade point average and plans to continue crafting screenplays in the future. A touching story proving that it's never too late to follow one's dreams. Brian Query, Family Life News. Or have mom be part of those dreams. What a great story. Thank you, Brian. And that's the world we live in Monday, October 16th. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.